0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Frogs Insider podcast. Alongside my co host, Jamie Plunkett, I'm Melissa Treblosser. We are a proud member of the Dave Campbell's Texas Football Republic of Football Network, uh, joining a bunch of other great Texas based college sports shows. Um, we are proudly sponsored by Homefield Apparel, which you can get 15% off if you use the code Frogs15. Um, we love working alongside all of these. Um, I think we can officially call them second class organizations now, Jamie, because <laughs> we represent the only school not just in Texas and, and not just in the power five, but in the history of college athletics to have their football team make the college football playoff, their basketball team make the NCAA tournament, both of those teams which won their opening game. And now a baseball team that will be playing in the College World Series and has a chance to have an opening game on Friday against Oral Roberts University at 1 p.m. Central Time. That is 11 a.m. Pacific for those of us on God's Coast and 2 p.m. Eastern for irrelevant people that don't really care about college baseball, let alone know that it exists. Uh, Oh, I guess Florida is on the East coast, technically. Or barely. It's barely hanging on down there. Barely. Yeah. And Virginia as well, both of whom are in a bracket. So maybe my statement was irrelevant, but regardless, again, frogs insider, Republic of football talking mostly baseball for the last couple of weeks, because we've got the hottest college baseball team in the country right now, Jamie.
1: Yes. And I love the stat that you just provided. It, the huge sample size of nine years of yeah. of data that we're working with uh, that says TCU is clearly the best, not only football program, not only baseball program, but athletics department in the country. Yeah. Uh, and we'll just go ahead and tack on university yeah. to that as sure. well.
0: Sure. We we don't we don't need to talk about like results or like championships won or things like that. Like that doesn't really matter for this conversation. We got into the dance. Three major sports. We've we've won some national championships this year. We've won a ton of conference championships. Um, who doesn't want to be TCU right now? That's I mean, what I'm saying.
1: it's a pretty good time. It's a pretty good time to be a Horn Frog. That is for certain. Uh, and I think you know, if if things keep breaking TCU baseball's way, it might be an even better week or better year to be a Horn Frog here in, in a couple of weeks. But we're gonna we're gonna get to that, Melissa. Um, Shout out to Home Field. You mentioned them already. Our sponsor, Frogs Fifteen, is the code. I'm not wearing a Home Field shirt right now. I feel embarrassed. I'm not
0: either, yeah. That. Um, not even wearing a TCU shirt.
1: Right when this podcast recording ends, I will be going into my closet and getting my Frogs Script hoodie and putting it on because even though it is in the 90s here in Texas this week, my house is just vibing at a very cool like 68. So. Mm-hmm going to throw the hoodie on rub it in mother nature's face so that i can control the weather in my own home and uh, feel very comfortable and embraced by my hoodie while Listen, i do so.
0: It is it is incredibly bold to talk about being able to control the weather in your own home in a state that has been recently known for not being able to keep the power on. So I
1: mean you're living in California so <laughs>
0: Hey i oh god i'm not gonna say it i'm not gonna say it i just Look, there are there are lights on there's wood being knocked on
1: all there of we go things. yeah rolling blackout. it, how it are, is how a, are <laughs> you. Uh,
0: i don't live I, I don't live in rolling blackout country so they're they're treating me great i'm <laughs> i'm not a pgd customer i'm i'm doing great um i i am uh but i also am it's like 75 degrees still here i don't know what's happening nice. so it's it, it really nice yeah it's really nice
1: well, uh, Melissa, TCU is going to Omaha. You said it already. It's the first time since 2017 that the Horned Frogs are traveling back to Omaha. The sixth time in program history. And we're going to talk about TCU's sweep of Indiana State and the Super Regionals here in a minute. There are a lot of things we want to get to. But first, Melissa, this team was 23-20 at the end of April going into March going into a series against Texas. They had lost the first two games of that series, 23 and 20. And now they are one of the final eight teams remaining. In your estimation, what changed between then and now for this baseball team?
0: I I wrote about that a little bit on our Frogs Insider Patreon here earlier. You can subscribe to support that venture for us at $3 a month, by the way. Um, But I, I think that, you know... Our friend Charles Baggerly, the the wonderful TCU 360 reporter, um, soon to be uh, star Telegram BFW high school sports reporter, uh, he talked about that players only meeting that came right before that that DBU game, and mm-hmm. I think that's the game where Carson Bowen hit kind of a late grand slam. Um, there was a big spark. You could see, you could sense the energy, and the dugout was different. And I know a lot of kind of you know it's a lot of word salad to talk about players only meetings a lot of times, but. One thing that Kirk Charloos has consistently said: This is a players-led club. And as much as is, he's got a veteran coaching staff. As as much uh, there is a voice in that dugout, I think it was up to the players to kind of take ownership of who that roster was. Um, it was it was up to the young guys to realize. Hey, you're gonna be everyday guys on this roster. You don't get to be freshmen. We've talked about that quite a bit. You know, it was it was up to the pitchers to take responsibility of, hey, we gotta throw strikes. We gotta, we gotta be where we need to be. We've gotta be doing the things that are asking of. And it, it was up to the offense, which was really struggling at that point to say. TJ Bruce is our offensive coordinator and we don't necessarily agree with the decisions that he's making at this time, because it's so different than who we had been a season ago, but this is our guy and we're going to buy in and we're going to trust what he has to say. And they, they played that great game against DBU. They got that big win. They went back and dropped two or three um, against, against the Longhorns that weekend. But from that point forward, um, you know, I think they were, were 20 and three, After that series, Um, Mm -hmm. and and it was clear that this was a team that that just wasn't just finally kind of maximizing their talent or or seeing their talent play out. But it was a a team that personality wise completely flipped their style of play. They started having fun. And and I think, again, that's one of those things where you can say it it and it works really, really well when you're winning but uh, I think that you saw more of the personality of guys like Trey Richardson and Austin Davis and Elijah Nunez. And you don't get a lot of emotion out of Braden Taylor, but you saw him take more of an active leadership role. I mean, I think I've been trying to find this quote, but but I feel like after the um, the Fayetteville Regional, he even talked about Curtis Byrne letting his personality out. Another one of those super stoic guys. Um, and, and you started to see the freshmen start to say, hey, I, I've been here now. I know what I'm doing. And and to just be themselves, both on the field and in the dugout, and not be afraid to be the leaders that you know they all were a year ago at their high schools. And so, uh, it's I guess it's it's credit to the players for just trusting who they are and trusting the guys that they signed up to play for. And thankfully for TCU, for Kirk Sarlous, for for you know the the program as a whole, that worked. And they became the team that we kind of, the, the preseason number one team that we all expected them to be. And I'm going to keep talking because you're coughing, but.
1: <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I think um, when you think about kind of a switch, maybe flipping for this team, when the calendar turned to May, um, one of the biggest noticeable differences in this team was its starting pitching, mm-hmm. Um The bullpen had had its struggles. The starters had had their struggles. The bats had been up and down and it never felt like they had all hit their stride at the same time. Uh, But for starting pitching specifically because of a couple injuries, because a couple guys um, uh, were were trying to get into the rotation, we're ending up in the bullpen and vice versa. um, There wasn't a ton of consistency when it came to the weekend rotation. And that in turn created a lot of inconsistency when it came to roles in the bullpen. Mm -hmm. So once guys got into a routine, once guys really discovered what their roles were, once those starters started to pitch better and longer into games, we started to see this baseball team win. Right. And it seems so simple. Um, But Carlos actually talked about it a little bit on monday during his media availability he talked about you know pitchers started to pitch better which made which took pressure off of the bats right so they didn't feel like they had to have a perfect game every time and then the bats were really rolling so the pitchers didn't feel like they had to throw a perfect pitch every single pitch and so you have this level of confidence starting to grow and grow and grow because you're seeing kind of your counterparts perform really really well uh and that allows you to loosen up and just play baseball um and that's really kind of what they did over the last five weeks or so is they loosened up and they started to play baseball. And what happened at that point was this incredible amount of individual talent that we had talked about all season uh, finally started to play to its potential. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really cool to see. Uh, and I think it was really cool to see it happen in a way that uh, was really natural and player-led, like you suggested, right? I mean, we heard from Trey Richardson after the game you know, this is his first year on campus here and you can tell just the way he speaks to the media that he is one of those locker room leaders because he said, you know, we're going to celebrate this win tonight. We're going to cherish this moment and understand what we've done, but we also understand that we haven't accomplished our goal yet. And so, you know, we're going to hit the ground running working this week to make sure that, you know, that goal that we have to win a ring is, is going to, you know, become real. Um, and that's clearly player led because, uh, it, this this veteran group of guys came together and made a decision that what they were doing wasn't good enough. And so they were going to continue to work and get better. And part of that is players. Yes, right. And part of that is also coaching. That is Kirk Sarlos, TJ Bruce, John Delora, Kyle Winkler, Garrick Moziello, the entire training staff, everybody else recognizing that they had players who were capable of leading this team stepping back and allowing those players to lead, right? You can have moments where you've got the leaders in the locker room, but a coach will be overbearing or overstep or get in the way of that leadership. And I don't think that's been the case for TCU since, since at all of the season at any point in time. Um, but what I think has happened is is that the players have recognized that they have ownership of what they want their season to be, uh, and so they they've firmly grasped that and have run with it uh, for the last five weeks. And that's, that's why we've seen, you know, what is it, the 19 out of 21 wins, 11-game uh, winning streak currently as they, as they head into Omaha. Uh, and, and it's really cool to see um, after the way that the season was kind of bearing itself out uh, in April, which was, you know, frankly, a, a pretty clearly a disappointment at that point. Um, the fact that they were able to resurrect it, not only to make the tournament, not only to make a Super Regional, but to get to Omaha – uh, is a testament to their to their willingness to get down and dirty and work, uh, and it's also a testament to, to just the talent that is on this roster.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I I think you're you're exactly right. It took so many things kind of clicking into place at the at the same time. <clears throat> And and you see that time and time again, you see teams that kind of struggle and scuffle and they replace a lot of their innings or they replace a lot of their position players or they replace a lot of their coaching staff. TCU did all three of those things and still hmm. managed to click in in season and to click in in season, like Troy Richardson said, when they basically had their backs against the wall for 20 plus games. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not that every single game has been a must win. But it's felt like every single game was a must win. I mean, this was a team that was in danger of being on the outside looking in, you know, a month ago. Mm-hmm. And now has become inarguably the hottest team in the country. They have the the country's longest win streak, too, right now. Yeah. So they have not lost a game since the postseason began. Um, and they're the only team that can say that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of been a perfect storm. And it's very rare that you see that happen when the pressure is turned up the highest, but that's a ton of credit. Like you said, to, to these players, to their, to their character the type of people that they are, and to the coaching staff too, who continued to kind of keep the pressure on, but did so in a way that didn't force them to crumble, but, but seems to have empowered them. Um, you know, one of the things that you brought up a while ago and that's kind of getting a little bit of attention again, but, but still has been talked about enough is is the practice Jersey mm-hmm. thing, you know, where, where there was a point in time where, where Kirk Star was kind of, Took those, took the TCU's jerseys away from those guys as a you got to earn these back, um, and now they're not wearing that kind of as a source of pride. And you know, I think he said after after the Fort Worth reg- uh, Super Regional that you know this was this is um, it doesn't matter what you wear, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter you know it's it's about who you are. And and you know they're a the type of team that they just want to play. They don't yeah. care what they're playing in. They just want to play, and and that's kind of borne itself out at this point.
1: Yeah, just play baseball. Be baseball players. Yeah. Uh, And we saw these guys be baseball players in the Super Regional time and time again. This was not a similar style of gameplay that we saw in the Fayetteville region where TCU just kind of went full monster mash and decided to hit uh, as many home runs as they possibly could in a single outing and just overpower and overwhelm Arizona and Arkansas and, and kind of beat them at a submission, which was very fun to watch. Uh, a very entertaining form of baseball, certainly when you score 44 runs in three games. But I don't know, for me, this two-game sweep of Indiana State in the Super Regional was also a very entertaining form of baseball because it required the highest level of execution. Mm -hmm. It required bending your opponent until they broke. Even if they didn't break fully, just for a quick moment, if you could get them to blink, could take advantage of that and we saw tcu do that this is a team in indiana state melissa we talked about this on last week's episode they had committed 39 errors all year (laughs) so you know that's like half an error a game at this point in the season they committed two on saturday yeah that gave up three unearned runs for tcu and guess how many runs TCU won by two right and so it's not only that. TCU has shown that they can hammer the baseball and, and win going away twenty to five, but TCU has now shown that they are capable of of molding their style of game to whatever the situation demands of them. We saw the manufacturer run so beautifully on Sunday night, uh, where Cole Fontanel leads off with a double hit off the wall in uh, like right center. He, I, by the, we're going to talk more about Cole Fontanel here in a second because he had an, yeah incredible weekend he doubles off the wall tc's leading three to nothing at this point it's the top of the ninth doubles off the wall trey richardson who's coming off an 11 rbi game a four home run weekend absolutely hammered the ball in fayetteville gets gets the call to move cole over and as a leader does as someone who's prepared for any moment does he put the perfect sack bunt down got cole over to third one out and Curtis Byrne, the leader that he's been all year, the guy who's embraced the designated hitter role, the guy who's embraced being a mentor to a younger catcher in Carson Bowen. Uh, you know we got a chance to talk to Carson earlier this week and he said from day one, Curtis has been had his back, has helped him out, has shown him the ropes, has helped him adjust to the college game. Never once has there ever been any kind of sense of bitterness, for this younger guy coming in and starting as many games as Carson has. He's like, no, Curtis has helped me with recovery. He's helped me understand like, mentally what I have to do to prepare to catch this many games. Like, That is the sign of a true leader is Curtis taking a younger kid under his wing when he's not having the season that maybe he hoped he would have uh, and making sure that whatever happened between the two of them as far as their roles were concerned, that they were both going to do what was best for the baseball team and pull them the same direction. He goes up there in that at bat with a runner on third and one out. Also coming off of a weekend where he just hammered three home runs, where he had hammered a couple of baseballs earlier in the day, sacrifice fly. It's a deep enough fly ball to center field to score Cole Fontenelle and get that extra run, get a little bit of insurance. You pointed out on Twitter why that run specifically was so important, Melissa, because Indiana State's largest comeback of the year had been three runs leading up to that point. And so you get that fourth run. You kind of feel even more confident. That also gives you the opportunity to send Luke Savage back out for another inning. Mm -hmm. Instead of bringing Garrett Wright out of the bullpen with a three-run lead, save opportunity for your closer. Luke goes out there, strikes out a guy a couple of times, but the pitches are called balls, gives up a solo home run, comes right back, gets the final out of the game. TCU goes up one nothing in the series. Um, That was a very impressive Game for me because yes, TCU hit a couple home runs. Cole Fontenelle hit a home run, two run shot. Allison Davis hit a, a home run as well that never got more than like 11 feet off the ground. Yeah, if that. But, but, but the defense was on point. The execution in the late innings was on point. And you start to see now we talked about how in, earlier in the year all of these pieces weren't quite clicking at the same time. That whole game on Friday night was a perfect encapsulation of everything is starting to click at the right time.
0: Yeah, it, you know, and I think that we've gotten really spoiled over the last couple of weeks of the way that TCU has absolutely just mashed the crap out of people. Mm-hmm. But when you get down and you're trying to be one of the final eight teams standing, you're going to have to show you can win kind of it's like postseason basketball, right, or, or playoff hockey. It's, it's it, The game gets a little bit different when the stakes get a little bit higher and when the competition gets a little bit tougher. And so I think it's incredibly important for this team that has shown that they can just absolutely blow people out of the ballpark to also show that they can win, you know, doing, doing, it wasn't station to station. Like you said, there were a couple of home runs, but it was more of the kind of typical style of baseball that we're used to seeing TCU play. Mm -hmm. And they had to fight and claw it out, and they relied on their pitching, and they relied on their bullpen, and they relied on players to come up in big spots. I mean, that, that Trey Richardson home run was, was a huge deal. Cole Fontenelle, Fonten- Fonten- who had struggled just a little bit, I mean, he wasn't playing poorly, but he certainly, you know, he wasn't lighting it up, and he hadn't needed to. But for him to kind of have that big hit, um, you know, Austin Davis had had the the base hit, um, you know, Saturday, too, I think it was Saturday Everything is all my calendar days are running together, but <laughs> but it it was great to see production come from different parts of the lineup. Um, you know I think we saw saw the stat that that the top three guys in the order were something like one for twenty one over the over the weekend, and to still be able to get two solid wins where where you weren't kind of clenching too much the entirety of the game because other guys came up and produced that bodes really really well for a team that isn't just trying to get back to omaha but is but is trying to kind of win a national championship here and do something that they've never done before.
1: Yep. For sure. And it, it, we like you said we saw more of that in game 2. Obviously they get behind in game 2, two runs given up by sam Stout Burrow on the first inning but but one thing that i noticed and one thing that Sarlos pointed out after the game 2 is that even in the midst of that first inning where i think sam threw 27 28 pitches, he never really got hit hard. Right? Yeah. You had a you had a a flare out to left field that kind of, kind of kind of got punched out that way. I think the leadoff hit, they were shifting a guy over and he just managed to hit it into the gap. Uh, Diaz, the Indiana State's leadoff hitter, who had a pretty good weekend and he did that yeah. at, at the leadoff spot in both games. He, he watched Trey Richardson shift over closer to second base and then hit it right where Trey normally would have been if he was lined up, you know, normal second base position. So uh, savvy hitting from, from Diaz in the leadoff spot for Indiana State. Indiana State, again, very good, very competent, very fundamentally yeah. sound baseball team uh, that deserve to be in that Super Regional, deserve to host that Super Regional.
0: Yeah, um, absolutely.
1: So, you know, we we see in game two, the Frogs fall behind. Uh, good on Sam Stoutenborough for gutting it out in that first inning and then coming back and posting 0 mm-hmm. in the next three innings, getting out of the fifth inning as well, um, and then pitching all the way into the sixth inning. He, he told a funny little side note story in postgame on Saturday night. Uh, that Sarlos wanted to take him out in the fifth inning. Uh, and he looked at Sarlos and said, there is no way you're taking me out of this baseball game. And so Kirk let him roll out. He closed out another inning, uh, got into the sixth inning, and handed the ball off to, to Ben Abelt, who frankly looked a little bit more human than we're used to Ben Abelt yeah. looking these days, um, but managed to settle down, get into a groove, and only allow one earned run. Um and keep the frogs lead and, and be able to hand off the ball to Garrett Wright who who ended up closing things out. Um, game two, I think, was just another really good e- example of executing, doing the just executing the play that's right in front of you, not mm-hmm. trying to do too much. Everybody just doing their jobs, uh, and you see the kind of success that you can have when everybody's just pulling on their one ninth and making sure that their job is taken care of.
0: It's really cool for a team that has relied so much on the long ball to get their scoring going, to watch them, again, just kind of execute that station-to-station baseball when they need to, you know, mm-hmm. to, to not be afraid, to still be patient in the box, to to be aggressive when the situation calls for it. But, you know, they got the big home run, but it's it's not like they were waiting on it. Yep. You know, it's, it's there, there's so many different ways that this team can score. And this is still a team that, and and, you know, the one thing that was taken away because of how good Indiana state is defensively and how great their catcher is, is they were not able to manufacture extra bases with, with their speed on the base paths and the way Mm -hmm. that we've seen them do so consistently all season long. And so again, it was, it was adjusting to who they were playing. It was, it was understanding the scouting report. It was listening to what you've been told will work and being able to successfully. Do so when the situation arises. Um, it was just it was two really impressive games that TCU had to win in a very different way than than we've seen them do. Um, and it was yeah. awesome to see them execute. And and again, after giving so much run support the last couple weekends, to see the pitchers in tighter situations still, you know, pitch at a really high level. Um, and and I completely agree what what Sam Stoutenborough did after that first inning for a guy again who pitched at Cal in four seasons. I think had thirteen career wins. You know, mm-hmm. he's dealt with injuries. He's he's not been had the opportunity to pitch in those types of games very often. He, you know, he had one uh, regional appearance, but for a guy like that, a fifth year guy, that's why you bring over a grad transfer from a power five program, even mm-hmm. one that, that hasn't necessarily been good. It's it's to hey, say, hey, we're going to give you the ball in a big moment, and after you scuffle in that first inning, we're going to give it back to you. Um, and and to see him completely settle in and just trust his stuff and and kind of take a breath. Uh, I just I thought that was just an awesome, awesome sign for, for TCU going forward and into next week. And, um, just, just a great, again, just a great kind of confidence booster to see that that fifth year guy come out and, and do the things that you brought him over to do.
1: Yeah. not only that you brought him over to do the things that he transferred in yeah. to have the opportunity to do. Yeah. Right. And Sam talked about that a little bit afterwards. Like, you know, we're a school of, you know, 10,000 people, hundred thousand alumni. We had 9,000 people in the stands tonight, you know, pitching for a chance to go to Omaha He's like, this is why I came here. This is why, and he kind of motioned to Trey, he's like, this is why we came to TCU. Um, and the fact that you had two first-year transfers sitting in that post-game press conference alongside a second-year head coach uh, talking about how you guys just made it to Omaha is a real testament to guys' willingness to come in and do whatever it takes to win baseball games, but also it's a testament to the coaching staff's ability to identify talent, bring them in through the transfer portal uh, and get everybody pulling in the same direction. It's it's really, really cool. Um, you know, we saw how they won these baseball games. I want to take a second and talk about who they won these baseball games in front of because mm-hmm. TCU baseball set some serious records on the weekend, 8,812 fans in attendance for Friday afternoons, incredibly way too hot and humid baseball game. Yeah. Uh and then 8,994 in attendance for Saturday night's game uh that clinched the Omaha berth. That second one is the largest. There are a couple caveats here, but I don't really care. Largest on campus college baseball game attendance in the state of Texas in, in in history. Not including right, like the tournament games at Globe Live for Minute Made or on campus. Most attended baseball game, more than any Texas game, any Texas A and M game, way more than any Tech or Baylor game. That's a cool bragging right to have for a school that's got like twelve thousand undergrads.
0: Unbelievable. I I mean, it. it, You know, one of my, I think one of my favorite things of the weekend too um, was Kirk Charlo's like telling his guys before the games to just take a moment and soak it in. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a it's a big deal. Like, again, you can say all the caveats, you could do all the things you could justify it however you want to. But this is this is a school of less than 10,000 undergrads in the summer on a miserable weather day where there was an hour and a half rain delay and folks were lined up hours before getting drenched in the rain to watch TC baseball, which was 23 mm-hmm. and 20 not that long ago host the super regional and and it was mostly TCU fans because you've got p- folks traveling from from Indiana you know the Indiana yep. State's a very you know very local semi-local alumni base to to their part of the country the midwest and so um yeah I mean I I appreciated Kirk Sarlo's just saying hey just step out there and soak it in you know like give yourself a moment um it's it's you, you're just, you're not going to get to do that very often, no matter who you are, no matter where you go to school, no no matter how long you play this game of uh, have nine thousand people that care that much mm-hmm. cheering you on. It's it's pretty unbelievable. It's pretty special, and and again, it's just what a perfect way to cap off a really special athletics year at, at in Fort Worth.
1: Yeah, and and the fact two things kind of off of that. The first, good on Kirk Sarlos for telling his players to take a moment and look up, Mm -hmm. right? Because when you're in the middle of of a situation like that, where you're trying to lock in, trying to focus, trying to get prepared to go out there and play a game and, and, and do it to the best of your ability, you can miss obvious things. And so having a head coach tell you to take a look up and to soak in a moment and just appreciate where you are, I think says a lot about his character as a head coach and his priorities as a head coach. Uh, and then the second thing is, if your head coach is calm enough to do that in as high pressure a situation as that was, that's going to set the tone for the rest of the baseball team, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, coaches, coaches relaxed. I can relax. I can go out and I can do my job. Yep. I can be that's a baseball awesome. player. Right. And so I think that's where Kirk's even keel ness really is going to benefit this program is because every time they get into high pressure situations, whether it's this year in Omaha, whether it's next year in the middle of the season, again, whatever it might be, whatever comes, you know, that he's going to stay even keel and that's going to rub off. That's going to, his team is going to reflect that back to him in those high pressure moments. Uh, and, And I think that's going to pay off for this thing in the long run in a way that, you know, we frankly haven't seen in past iterations of TCU baseball. Um, And and so that, that to me is a signal that, okay, he's got this right. And okay. These guys have got this because they're going to take after their head coach. They're going to follow him into battle in the same style that he's going in. Um, And there's nothing, there's nothing more terrifying than playing a team walking into a stadium that is completely relaxed and focused and just ready to hammer the baseball
0: yeah and and I mean I think like you said it starts at the top I mean these are this you know these are guys that have that have played in big professional games these are guys that have won College World Series as members of staff they're they're guys that mm-hmm. have played in these high leverage opportunities Kirk Sarles has obviously been to Omaha several times as, as, as a player coach. and a coach yeah. yeah yeah and so so the the moment isn't gonna be too big for them and he's also just like that's just who he is yep you know, it's not like he had to, you know, consciously make the effort to relax going out there. Like he's mm-hmm. been through the ups and the downs of the season, he has been the same guy. And I give a ton of credit. And you know what? I, we talked a little bit about, you know, Ben Abel not being the same guy. Like Kirk kind of called him out, but not not in a not in a difficult way. But a kind of hey, he didn't have his best stuff. That's not the same guy I've been seeing. But but he got the job done, and kind of kind of gave him that. You know, here's my expectation, but here's why I'm proud of the kid for fighting through not having the best stuff that he's had all year. Uh, He's, and that's consistently who he's been. That's what he was as a pitching coach. That's what he's proven to be as the manager. Um, It's, it makes you feel really, really good that that's the guy that's going to be leading you into Omaha. And and I I think that this is a program that we've seen tighten up sometimes in some of those big moments too. And and to feel the pressure, I mean, you and I have, have been around. the the previous guy when he wasn't too happy um, Mm -hmm. after, after, after tough games. And, and that's, you know, that's, that's not, I don't think you're sitting around waiting. It's the same thing that we talked about with the football team. It's the difference of waiting around to see if you're going to make a mistake and knowing what's going to come. If you do versus feeling like you have the, the trust to go out and be yourself and that you're going to be held accountable. If you, if you don't do what the coaches asked you to do, but they're not going to rip you to shreds. If, if yeah. something doesn't go go the right way either.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think, too, as we kind of shift to, to an Omaha conversation here, it, it can't be overlooked uh, what kind of experience T.J. Bruce brings to the team in these moments as well because he's the only coach on staff. He's the only player on the team. He's the only person who's a part of this program who's won a national championship before. Yeah, he did so as an assistant with UCLA yeah. uh, before he took the head coaching job at Nevada Reno. And I think when you pair – Kirk's you know kind of level-headedness with TJ's understanding of what it exactly takes which includes maybe a couple bounces going your way but really truly like what it takes to win at this level um that is gonna have these guys as prepared as any group that that heads into this final little yeah. mini tournament in, in Omaha Nebraska not to mention, You've got another guy on staff in Kyle Winkler yeah. who's, who's pitched for TCU in the college world series before. Uh, so that's a really good uh, resource to lean on as well, because we're talking about a TCU baseball team as odd as it is that has no players yeah. with Omaha experience on it. Uh, and so they get to go into this thing for the first time, work through all of those distractions that are going to come their way, work through the fact that they're not playing back-to-back games for the first time in a yeah. long time outside of you know the rain the rain altered regional in arkansas they get a day where they go to work a day where they have off a day where they go back to work uh and then you know if if they win those two games another opportunity to go to work and then a whole week if you if you make the best of those 3 games to try and figure out how you navigate hotel life and practice yeah. and being in a strange city uh, I mean, the experience that Kirk and and Kyle Winkler and TJ Bruce bring to the table in, in a moment like this can't be understated.
0: Even uh, even Garrett Mosiello his, right. Garrett, Garrett grew up in Omaha, basically. You know, True. Like some, some of his formative years were, were spent on mm-hmm. that field. Man, I'll tell you though, like it, like as someone who's been there, who's walked out on that field, I like I'll, as much as I wish some of those guys had some experience. Like I am so jealous of what they're gonna get to feel the first time they walk out on that field because it is it is one of the most magical places and one of the most magical experiences. Um, you know, like I, I was kind of talking to some people and they're like, you know, you've been to NCAA tournament games and you've, you know, you've been to the to the college football playoff and the national championship. Like when I tell them that I think that the the college world series might be my favorite sporting event, like major college sporting event of any of them, because there's just something it's just something so special and it's not, it's not like a one and done. Like you're mm-hmm. going to be there for at least a couple of days if you get to go. I mean, the, the last time I went in 2017, I think I was there for nine days because CCU just kept winning. Mm-hmm. Okay, I didn't, but, um, it, it's, it's a pretty cool, pretty unique perspective. And, and, to, you know, to see those guys' eyes all get really, really big the first time they walk out on that field and, and just the, the sense of that city and that community, um, you know, see the way the entire city shuts down for that two week period. Uh, it's, it, it's a really, really cool thing. And I, I just hope that, you know, just like they did in Fort Worth, they get a chance to kind of just stop and, and soak it all in and really appreciate just the the opportunity that's in front of them, but also just to, just to hang out and, and just mm-hmm. to, just to, to be a part of, of that final eight. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. and And those guys, man, especially those veteran guys, like just, to see the way that that Braden Taylor and, and Curtis Burr and Elijah Nunez and Luke Flores, these guys who have fought so hard for the last three years to get to this point, to see the way they reacted when they realized—I mean, there was that great video that TCU put out on Twitter and Instagram of Braden Taylor just kind of—it was just kind of doing the oh my in. god, yeah. oh my, like it was—that was just a really sweet, sweet moment. Yeah. It's it's going to be awesome to see those guys get to experience that up there.
1: It is. It is because they they deserve it. They've worked their backsides off. They've survived all the ups and downs. And now they get to to be a part of just what is a really cool two-week celebration of college baseball yeah. up in Omaha. So uh TCU's first opponent, as you mentioned right off the top, is Oral Roberts. It's at one PM Central on Friday afternoon. Melissa, this is an Oral Roberts team that should not have been a four seed. I'm no. just gonna I'm just gonna come out and no. say it. They had 47 wins heading in. To their region uh, in Stillwater, and here are a couple reasons why they were a four seed. First of all, they play in a conference that is simply just not a very top to bottom quality um, conference. They won it obviously because it's you know one of those situations where it's a one bid league, but some of the things that kind of give you an indicator of how good a team is, even when they don't play. In the best leagues is who they beat midweek mm-hmm. you know some of their some of their i mean team stats are going to be a little wonky when you're not playing in the best of leagues but you can look at some of their midweek games are they playing some of the best competition and then you can still look at you know in their conference are they beating some of the other top teams and, and how well are they doing against them and so you start to take a look at oral roberts uh schedule they won their series against texas state it was a tournament team last year they uh, got swept by DBU. So you're thinking, okay, well, there's, there's a notch against them there. They went 2-0 and against Wichita uh, State midweek. Um, they took down Missouri State, who was uh, a tournament team for a long time. Um, and then you get down and you start to see, okay, who else did they play? Well, they played Oklahoma State in the midweek, beat them 8-5. to They played Oklahoma State in the midweek again, beat them 9-7. to They beat Wichita another time four to one. They also went, what is it? Uh, 23 and one in conference this year, right? So you're taking care of pretty good on that end. You're 23 and four at home. Uh, and and then you get into a situation where, Oh, Hey, congratulations for all your efforts. You're going to be a four seed, but you get to go to a region where you've played two of the three teams before already. And one of those teams you've beaten twice already, and so they get Oklahoma State. They beat them six to four. They come out the next day. They beat Washington in the winners' bracket, fifteen to twelve, in what was just an absolutely insane baseball game. Yeah. And then they get DBU. They they got swept by DBU in the regular season. What do they do? They come out and they beat DBU six to five. Their pitching is incredibly solid. Their bats, when they catch fire, get really really hot. Uh, and then they come back in the super regional up in Eugene against Oregon. And when you lose a baseball game, the way they lost a yeah. baseball game on Friday night, I don't understand how you come back from that yeah. leading eight to nothing. And then you get walked off nine to eight. That is a soul crushing experience. So what did they do? They came back and they just walked off Oregon the next night. Yeah. And then last night on Sunday night, they just, kind of hammered Oregon into submission winning that game 11-6. to uh, So this is a baseball team that until Friday night was on a 27-game winning streak. Would have been the longest streak going had they just taken care of Oregon in two games. Um, they're very capable. They've got 51 wins on the year, and they've got depth. I mean, they've got really good arms. They've got a, a ton of good bats. I mean, they've got three guys with an OPS over one, right? They've got Uh, let's see here, one, two, three, four, five guys with double-digit home runs. Um, and They've got three arms that have pitched significant innings for them this year who all have um, K-9 ratios above nine, right? And so they strike out a ton of guys. They hit a lot of home runs. This is one of those teams that if you catch them at the wrong time, they're going to mess you up and you cannot take them lightly. This is why you know, we were talking before we started recording, who does Kirk go to in the rotation against Oral Roberts, right? Because you'd think naturally, oh, okay, well, in that region, you've got TCU and Oral Roberts, and then you've got Florida and Virginia. The instinct is to save Cole Klecker for that second game when you're playing either Florida or Virginia to uh, two national seeds to two of the best teams in the country this year. But if you don't get past Oral Roberts, I mean, you go to the losers bracket and we yeah. saw what happened to Oklahoma state in the losers bracket in the big 12 tournament. What happened to them again in their region in the losers bracket. We saw what Arkansas had to go through in the Fadeville regional when they lost to TCU on Sunday morning, right? Like when you're forced to play, So many games in a short amount of time, you can almost kiss your season goodbye because no college team has enough pitching to get through that. Yeah.
0: And and Fisu hasn't had to do that. So we don't know how they're going to respond if that opportunity comes up. Um, Mm You know, I was was watching a lot of that Oregon Oral Roberts game, and and that was a pretty Pretty close game in the in the deciding one. It was kind of back and forth until, like you said, I think the depth of Oral Roberts, not just the depth of their bench, but the depth of their lineup. They just kept coming at the yep. ducks and and they really pulled away down the stretch as Oregon's mm-hmm. pitching started to get a little bit thin. Um and they just kept hammering. And they have guys that are gonna go out there and throw strikes. I mean, I mean that K9 ratio, I think, is, is one of the biggest things. You know, when TCU has been good, it's because their pitching staff has been throwing strikes but TCU has been bad. It's because they haven't. And we've seen Oral Roberts kind of do the same thing again. You know, maybe they haven't been tested in the regular season, but they sure as heck been tested in the postseason. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, this is, this is a, a team that, you know, it, it deserves to be in Omaha. This is, this is not, they got fluky at the right time. This is a four seed that had to fight and battle through some really, really good teams to earn this. Um, And they are, they are absolutely going to be a challenge. So, I mean, my my first instinct was to say, "Yeah, save save Klecker for the for the blue blood programs." You know, Florida and Virginia are two two of the historically you know great programs in the country. But the more that you were talking, and the more that you say those two, yeah, you you start to think, man, you got to go win that that first game. That's it's so mm-hmm. crucial. So you got to. And plus, that's what we, that's what they've been doing, right? That's what's been successful is giving Cole the ball first. Uh, why would you change up what's been working? Go eat at IHOP. Give Cole the ball first, exactly. give Sam the ball second, wear the practice jerseys. Mm-hmm. Like let, Let's let's Don't, go ahead and get to that second weekend.
1: There is no need to change anything about <laughs> what you've been doing to this point. Yeah. There is no need, yeah. right? I mean, you look at Oral Roberts. Uh, they beat an Oregon team that was on a nine-game winning streak coming into yeah. that game. They came out of the Nashville region completely untouched, right? They beat Xavier twice. They beat Vanderbilt eight to seven in that second game to stay in the winner's bracket and get to the final Um they won the Pac-12 tournament, right? That was a very that was a, uh, Oregon thinking. was as hot as anybody thinking. in the country yeah. coming into that series. Uh, they handed Oral Roberts an L, and then Oral Roberts responded really, really well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think you go with Cole. Now, if there are coaches listening to this. <laughs> I'm just if I'm wrong, I'm wrong.
0: Yeah, do, do I what think you guys go. Think is best. I think yeah. I think you go with mean. Cole.
1: I think you yeah. go with Cole on Friday. You run your guy out there. You say, we're going to put our best against Will Roberts, and we're going to trust the dudes behind him in the rotation to get things done yeah. no matter what happens. Because, I mean, if you get the Cole Klecker that you got against Indiana State where he's striking out nine, he's pitching into the eighth inning, right? Like, this is a guy who – I mean, I tweeted it out after Friday night. Cole Klecker has the most wins for any true freshman pitcher – for TCU since Matt Perk did it in 2010, right? He has 10 wins on the season. He's been throwing his best baseball in the last couple of weeks. Trust your dude to put you in the winner's bracket and to set things up. It it, it will carry you so much further. And then you can go to Sam who hasn't maybe had his best stuff the last couple of weeks, but has still been able to gut out pitching into the sixth inning and he gave up, you know, uh, a couple weak soft hits and, and gave up a couple runs here and there against Indiana State. He gave up a couple solo home runs against Arkansas in a ballpark that was just built like a wiffle ball ballpark, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then you get into Charles Schwab Field and or Charles Schwab Stadium, and that's a really pitcher friendly ballpark. Yeah. And Sam is a really good pitch to contact kind of guy where you know that you've got one of the fastest outfields in the country. You've got an infield that's been playing phenomenal mm-hmm. defense, phenomenal defense. Trust Cole Clicker on Friday to get you into the winners bracket. Trust Sam Saltenborough to trust his defense against either Florida or Virginia on that Sunday and just see where that gets you. Because you've got the benefit too. If things don't work out well for Cole on Friday? Cool. Go to Luke, go to Ben, go to some of these bullpen arms. Because you have a day of rest on Saturday. Yeah. So you can dip back into some of those arms maybe on Sunday if things don't go well yeah. for Sam, right? So the structure of this is going to allow your bullpen to get a little bit more rest than they might in a regional. Um, and so you can you can kind of manipulate the bullpen maybe a little bit to accommodate what the starters do. But don't don't shuffle your rotation now. Don't yeah. do that at this point of the season. There's no need to change anything up
0: stick with what's been working for sure. Mm-hmm. And, and give yourself a shot too to, to be able to get Cole back out there for, you know, for another game. You know, I think, I think that's part of it too. You, that, with the way that the games are, are set up, if, if you could win early, you, you got a yeah. chance to use your best guy twice, you know, or just be like Stanford and, you know, throw 400, have your, your ace throw 400 <sighs> pitches in, in the span of like five days too. whatever, whatever you want to do about that. Look,
1: I, All right. So <laughs> let, let's talk about this for a second and I'm going to pull up his, uh, uh, stats because I do want to talk about this um, because is Keith it? Law Keith Law got a hold of this and Keith Law is doing Keith Law things sure which uh, annoy me sometimes frankly uh, because he got a hold of one of my tweets during the Big Twelve tournament and it was just a pain in the butt um, so uh, I can't find this guy what was his name was it Drew Dowd no no not?
0: it's uh, Quinn Matthews Thank two N one T <laughs> um.
1: Quinn Matthews pitched (laughs) against Texas A&M on the fifth. He went four innings. Wait, that's not right. Where's his pitch count? Is this the right guy? Am I going to cut all of this out of the podcast? No, we're sticking with it here. Okay, here's how. Here's what it is in the region. He pitched on June 2nd against San Jose State. He went seven innings. He threw 114 pitches. He pitched again on the fifth against Texas A&M. I'm assuming that that was in relief. He pitched four yes. innings. Yeah. He yeah. threw he threw 66 pitches. And then he came back against Texas, threw nine innings, 156 pitches. So it's 315 total pitches in those three outings in the span of nine days. It feels like a lot. And they in this era of baseball where you are pr- really overly protective of arms, where you're not pushing guys to their limits, where you're trying to save their arm for the future, where you're doing all this other stuff. Like you, this is just unheard of at this point, unless you're Paul Skeens who just will throw 120 pitches every outing, no matter what, um, whether it's seven innings or nine or five or whatever. But with this guy, you know, he was a 19th round pick last year. Uh, from what I understand is that the Stanford coach like talked to him about it, talked to his family about it said, hey, we're gonna lean on you pretty hard in these in in the playoffs and the kid signed off on it yeah. right um, I'm cool with you using a guy twice in a weekend throwing the number of pitches that he did if he understands the consequences, if his family understands the, the potential consequences, right because you could also have a moment like you did, in the TCU super with Indiana state's closer Mm -hmm. who hadn't pitched all weekend, hadn't pitched since the regional comes out in that game on Saturday, throws what, 15 pitches. And then his arm starts to hang. He points at his elbow. He has to come out of the game. Right. So you just never know how the body is going to respond. I am personally, I don't, I mean, he threw 156 pitches. It's an obscene number in this day and age, but it also came you know, after a, basically a full week's rest. So you look at the total number of pitches and you say, that's egregious that, what are they doing to him? I, I don't, I don't, I just don't see it.
0: You know, I think, you know, and, and Quid Matthews is not one of those guys that's throwing 98. And I think, you know, you, you tend to associate kind of those, uh, those high leverage, high stress pitches. And he wasn't, doing a ton of high stress pitches he did when he came in in relief was probably the worst situation, but mm-hmm. otherwise not, you know, not, it wasn't every pitch wasn't kind of for your life kind of a situation. I, I do think, and you know, he said after, after the game that when the manager came up to him, that he basically said, you're not taking the rock from me. This is my game. I'm finishing yeah. it. Good luck. Yeah. Go F yourself. And mm-hmm. and I do as, as someone exactly who is, like that. At, you know, honestly, like, like knowing a little bit about Quinn Matthews, it would not surprise me if he did, but um, but you know, it's, 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 it's interesting for me as, as, somebody who's, who's coached, who's coached, at, not, you know, at a very high level, I've never coached this. I've at, at college, uh, NAIA was the highest level I ever coached at. So obviously a very different situation, but mm-hmm. your players pretty much always want to play. You know, your, your best players want to be out there. I've, I've coached, you know, softball against super low level, very different situation, um, and there is something to be said for, you know, being the adult in those situations. Now, if he was very clear at a time with, hey, you know, are you OK with this? And he talked to the family, too, because oftentimes you need kind of the the parent, even for, a, you know, a grown a grown man in college to kind of say, you got to think about your future. But let's just be clear.
1: Out. None of the men in college are grown.
0: This is very true. I don't even know that men in their 30s are grown all the time. So can you know,
1: confirm, can, can confirm. confirm, but
0: um yeah if if you know if they kind of had this agreement and he did say you know this is why he came back like he wanted to go to Omaha like he wanted to have a chance to win a national championship you know they had such a disappointing playoff run last year mm-hmm. um and and this Stanford team is really really good when they're clicking I mean they can hit the snot out of the baseball like this is a, it's probably not they're probably not going to be one of the favorites when they get there but they're certainly a team that could turn it on and and, and win, you know, win it well, all. If, but if
1: they get there, you know they're they up a run on, on Texas in the eighth. No, they're, we'll they're see. tied.
0: They're tied heading to the bottom of the eighth. Oh. Texas just tied it up with two outs. Um, we're recording this on Monday night for those of you guys that listen. So we're there watching this game live. Denver, congratulations on your NBA championship. Joke Shout out to guys, Nicole Jokic. But-
1: You're still not as good as Dirk ever was. I'll go to my grave <laughs> believing that.
0: It's very different, very different players, very different games. But anyways, so yeah, I think, I think that you could, I love Dirk. Um, I think that you could have, you could have a, a situation where it's the right thing in the right moment with a couple of people that have agreed on it. And I'm okay with that. Um, but you know, you wonder really now if, if Stanford does hold on tonight or come back and get this win, what is he going to have left in the tank? You know, he's certainly not going to be their their game one starter. I wouldn't imagine, but Heck I don't, don't know I mean that was, that was that will. was what that was
1: that was a Sunday, and this is a bracket that doesn't start until Saturday,
0: yeah, I guess right? yeah I guess so, theoretically he could go, why he not could go yeah, why not I mean
1: he's not their ace, right, so I mean maybe i I don't know about Stanford's yeah. rotation at this point, I should probably not talk without knowing yeah. but. In my estimation, he's, I think he's going to be a full support. go whenever they need him.
0: Yeah, yeah, and he's going to try for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, what? Without a doubt, I think that's one thing we know about. it. Sixteen strikeouts, man, in a in a winner go home game. That's just against a Texas yeah. lineup that's not does not. I don't. I mean, again, I shouldn't speak on this, but is not really known as being a high strikeout team. It's it's pretty insane. So the, yeah, Texas. Um, I
1: mean, Texas hits the ball. They do it really yeah. well. They, yeah. they don't have Ivan Melendez, for those of you that have been paying yeah. attention to anything this year. But they've got
0: still really uh, top, really top good. to bottom
1: really, really good talent. And really, really uh, good. they put up runs. They put up yeah, a lot of runs.
0: runs so. But we don't have to face either of those teams until potentially TCU makes the championship series in Omaha. I mean,
1: so. Wake's coming out of that side.
0: Yeah, I would it's
1: imagine gonna, so. I mean, I'm very excited for the uh, Paul Skeen's Wake Forest matchup that we deserve to be able to see on that side of the region. And I'm very glad that I can sit back and just enjoy that as a person who doesn't have to worry about those teams being on our side of the region.
0: Unbelievably true. Those are great things. Fun to watch other people suffer.
1: Yes. Schadenfreude is excellent. Um, Melissa, let's move off of baseball though here for the last few minutes of the show and talk a little TCU shooty hoops, both men's and women's. We've got some fun yeah. notes to touch on really quickly before we wrap things up. First, Ernest Uday Jr., the newest addition to TCU men's basketball, received an invitation this week to uh, the workout for the under-19 Team USA men's basketball team. Which, is, which awesome. is pretty cool. It's fun little bit of news. You might remember, listener, that the last Horned Frog to participate in this was Mike Miles Jr., who won a FIBA gold medal for the under 19 team USA team, uh, back in 2021, uh, alongside his head coach, Jamie Dixon.
0: Yeah, these are, these are awesome opportunities. I'm really hoping that Ernest specifically gets a chance to be on this team. Cause as a guy mm. that didn't play a ton of minutes for Kansas, um, we saw this with Mike is it it really helped him grow as a leader. You know, It helped him um, grow, and, and he's always been a guy that wanted the ball in the big moments, but I think we saw that even more so. And just the competition of playing against those guys every day in practice, um, I, I think it was just absolutely invaluable for him both on and off the court. Um, and I think that for – Ernest Uday, who, um who is going to need to be a really good player for TCU next year for them to kind of meet their goals. Um, mm-hmm. I think it would be an awesome opportunity for him to go up against some good competition, not just, you know, in the games, but in practice, too, and get him ready to go from being kind of a, a end-of-the-bench guy to, you know, potentially a starter here in the fall.
1: Yeah, and, and yeah, it's, just, it's minutes, right? Get yeah. as many minutes under your belt as you can. Uh, when you look at TCU's front court, I know we talked about this last episode, just with Asam Mustafa, with Xavier Cork, and with Ernest coming in as well, uh, you have the opportunity for this really cool rotation to take place for, this, um, for, for these guys to not get overextended, not work too many minutes. But for Ernest, it will be an opportunity to play a little bit more. Um, and so you want him to be ready. To, t- to kind of take on that load and not just force him into, uh, maybe more minutes than he's used to, uh, right out of the gate. Uh, so it's a cool, cool little invite, uh, for him to to have this summer. And then on the women's side of things, you know, I was at TCU the other day, uh, for one of their invite only football camps. And as I was walking through Shoalmire to get to the indoor practice facility, I heard someone dribbling a basketball on the court, which, you know, Right always now saying, for yeah. the, yeah, I'm always going to peek my head in, uh, but they're out there practicing because the practice court is torn up right now. They're replacing mm-hmm. it this off season, which it needed it. So this is a good yeah. upgrade for, for TCU basketball's facilities, but it means that everybody that's on the basketball teams are working out in the main Schulmeyer arena. And so I poked my head in and who did I see? But TCU women's basketball coach, Mark Campbell and TCU's, I don't want to say like crown jewel of the transfer portal because they have such a stacked transfer yeah. portal class this offseason. But one of the big pieces uh, that's a part of that transfer portal, Sedona, Price, uh, Sedona Prince was in there getting up shots, working one-on-one with her coach. They obviously had that history of being together at Oregon. Campbell was one of the key recruiters to, to land her out of high school as a five-star recruit. Uh, and it looked just from the, the couple minutes that I stood there watching them get up some shots. Like they are right back into that rhythm mm-hmm. of, of coach and player and right back into that relationship again, um, which gets me really fired up for women's basketball this year.
0: I'm so excited for women's basketball this year. I, I mean, you talk about Prince, you know, it's not just what she brings off the court, but for a program that's really struggled the last couple of years, she has such a high profile and so much respect among the game. She's gonna bring eyeballs to Fort Worth again um, in a year where, like you said, they've absolutely loaded up at the portal. Plus, they ha- hung on to their their prize kind of young player. Mm-hmm. Um they ha- they have it. this program has a chance to have kind of the TC volleyball level turnaround um in, in a year and to, you know, to be a team that They should be able to contend in the top half of the big 12 and and maybe have a shot to make an NCAA tournament, something they haven't done in a really long time. So um, I'm excited about Mark Campbell. You know, obviously he's he's a West coast guy. He spent, he spent a lot of time in big programs out here. He's at Sac state, which is the university's down the street from me um, and turned that program around uh, and recruited the heck out of, out of that program, which is not an easy place to recruit. Mm-hmm. Um so I I'm really excited to see what he can do with just the resources, the facilities and and the uh the platform that TCU has right now to kind of bring the women's program up to to snuff with with the rest of the athletics program across the across the uh uh athletics world at TCU.
1: You know, it's just another opportunity for TCU to be able to claim that they are in fact in the everything greatest. school.
0: Yeah, the greatest school in the entire world. And like a meat school. smoking team now too. I feel like we need a championship meat smoking.
1: I mean, with all of the barbecue in Fort Worth, it feels like Something. you know there's a lot of a lot of experts to lean on to maybe coach yeah. that team. Get, yeah. get Travis Travis yeah, Heim Travis Hyman.
0: Coach Travis. <laughs> to, Heim. to
1: coach to coach meat judging or meat smoking or whatever the yeah. heck it is. Do both. Um, yeah, it, you know, just TCU is an everything school now. So it's only it only uh, makes sense that women's basketball would step up their game this, this season and, and, yeah. and get to, to where we know that they can get to. Um, I have also just a couple little fun notes here that uh, I pulled for other things that um, I wanted to share with you, Melissa. Did you know that in this calendar year, uh, academic year, just kind of on the, on the topic of everything school, TCU had 65 student athletes across all of their sports that received all conference honors. That's awesome. They had 15 student athletes across, I believe it was seven different sports receive all American honors. Wow. They had, uh, I believe it's seven coaches across obviously seven different sports that received a combined 13 coach of the year awards.
0: 10 of those Uh, went to sunny
1: (laughs) seven, seven went to sunny. Um, but, uh, it's it's a great time to be a horn Frog. It is. It's, it's a great time, time to be a horn Frog. We've watched all of these programs thrive. We're going to see a couple more thrive, hopefully in the near future. And between then and now, we get to watch TCU baseball in Omaha, taking on Oral Roberts this Friday at 1 p.m. Make it's sure you tune good. in. If you're not going to get to Omaha, tune in. Nobody works on Friday afternoons anyways. You have Kirk Sarlos's permission. Just... See a yeah. tweet from earlier on Monday. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to hopefully watch the, the Horn Frogs do the thing and bring home a ring. For Melissa Treewasser, yeah. I'm Jamie Plunkett. Make sure you check out Home Field Apparel. Frogs 15 will get you 15% off. Shout out to Dave Campbell's Texas Football and the Republic of Football Network, of which we are a part. Go and subscribe on Spotify, on pod, uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your shows. You can subscribe to the Republic of Football Network, feed where you'll get every single show from every single D one Texas football program. You can subscribe to our frogs insider only feed where you'll just only get our stuff, but that that's cool, but that's also boring because you want to listen to the guys over at between two bears and and gambling gauchos and and all that kind of stuff. I will admit I've been listening to the gambling gauchos every week. They are pretty good at what they do. Yeah. Um,
0: They'll keep you entertained.
1: Yes. Yes, they will check out Melissa on patreoncom slash frogs insider for all of the great stuff that she is writing. And we will see you guys next week when hopefully we are talking about TCU moving on to the final weekend in Omaha, Nebraska. But until then, go Frogs.
0: Go Frogs.